when I first um, like thought of this idea for the podcast, you're one of the first names that popped into my head. Really? Well, I guess you strike me as someone who's prone to obsession. Are you saying that I'm a little bit nerdy? <laughs> <laughs> This is Totally Obsessed with Dan DeBoo. Talking to interesting people about that interesting thing that interests them. Hello and welcome to a very interesting episode of Totally Obsessed with Dan DeBoo. This is episode 7. Thank you so much uh, for everyone for listening and for downloading and for sharing the podcast and keep it up. I love it. This intro is going to be pretty quick because... As I said, it's a very interesting episode. Our guest is Lawrence Leung. You might know him from his TV series like uh, Choose Your Own Adventure. Uh, He's breakdancing, he's Rubik Cube solving. He's many fringe festival shows and comedy festival shows and Edinburgh festival shows. He's someone who has very deep obsessions with very interesting things. And I knew he'd be a great guest. And, dear listener, he has not disappointed. First of all, with the topic he's chosen, which I just love the obscurity of it, the friendship between Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Harry Houdini. Perfect. And he also, and this is why I'm talking quickly, because this is a longer podcast than usual, he also staged a seance for me where he read my mind or communicated with the spirits who are reading my mind. So... Make sure you listen all the way to the end for that and our reactions to it and my thoughts on it. It was definitely a little spooky. So get ready to learn all about two of the most interesting people of the late 1800s, early 1900s, I think. Timeline unclear. But also get ready to be spooked. This is Lawrence Leung, totally obsessed with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and his friendship with Harry Houdini and all that that represents on Totally Obsessed with Dan DeBoof. Okay, when I said to you, what do you want to talk about? What are you obsessed with? And this is the very, very weird friendship and falling out uh, of Harry Houdini and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who was the writer of um, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. And uh, for me, I was always a fan of Houdini when I was a little kid. You know, like I said, I was doing lock picking and stuff like that as a kid. I used to jump inside Duna covers. My brother used to tie the top with rope and then he'd push me down the stairs. You know, I wanted to be like a little Houdini. Was he just bullying you and you, this is your... <laughs> This is, you're spinning it. You're like, oh, um, I was I was staging my own escape routine, yeah. mum and dad. And your brother's like, yeah, sure, mate. Yeah. Instead of people saying, oh, I just walked into a door, I'd say yeah. I was pretending to be Houdini. My brother locked me in a case and threw it in the pool. <laughs> but it was it was on purpose. I I, have, I was in on the joke. Yeah, I have jumped into a pool with uh, those little plastic handcuffs you get from oh. the Melbourne shows <laughs> last week. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, actually, Houdini actually came to Melbourne uh, in 1912 and he jumped off Queen's Bridge and he, he, he landed in the water. He was totally chained up and he didn't sur- resurface for a very short time. And then um, all of a sudden this body came up and what he had done was he had did slodged a dead corpse 
well, corpses are dead, a dead body, <laughs> um, which was stuck in the bottom of the mud. And that came up first. And so everyone thought he had died. <laughs> and then he popped up as well. Uh, great prank. Great prank. Wow. Yeah, it's full on. How many corpses do you reckon were in the river at the time? Uh, I don't know. That's why the Yarra is so disgusting. Yeah, yeah. That... All the dead bodies. Yeah. Dead escapologists. <laughs> yeah. Escapologists? Escapists? Uh, escapi- escapologist. Escapologists. And uh, also, you know, being a kid, I was a massive fan of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. You know, as we all were. Yeah. And I thought that Sherlock Holmes was a real person. Um, mm. Until uh, I remember seeing there was a photo of um, Sherlock Holmes and who's uh, sorry, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, who's super tall, he's like over six foot tall, and Harry Houdini, who's super short, he's five foot something, and the two of them standing next to each other. And I was like, oh, my God, these, like, two of my heroes, how did they meet? And, and yeah, so growing up I was, like, finding out more about the stories and and uh, uh, people who know me from my live shows, I do talk about um, spiritualism and the cult and things like that because it all came out of this interest of studying Harry Houdini and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who were both interested in spiritualism, which is that whole seance Victorian thing okay. of speaking and communicating to the dead. However, Harry Houdini was a sceptic. He didn't believe it at all, whereas Sir Arthur Conan Doyle um, was a believer. Now, here's the crazy, crazy thing. When you think about it, Harry Houdini, in his in his uh, public life, he was... Superhuman. He was, you know, yeah, he was borderline wizard. Yeah. So basically, as an escapologist, I like to think of it as someone who fails to commit suicide every night. <laughs> it's essentially what he's doing yeah, as yeah, his yeah, job. Yeah. He's defying death. Um, so he looks like he has supernatural powers. Whereas, um, so Arthur Conan Doyle, he invented Sherlock Holmes, which is the most rational, rational detective. Yeah. He's a scientific minded detective, and and he's always using deduction and the scientific method to solve his crimes. However, in his public life. Um, he, uh, Sartre Conan Doyle would go around on lecture circuits talking about spiritualism and in the later part of his life he was basically a proponent. He was like known as the prince of spiritualism, came to Australia, he gave lecture tours and, and it's really insane when you think about how both of them are kind of like the flip side of the same coin. Maybe they just really let each other down when they met each other because <laughs> if you think about it, if Arthur Conan Doyle is obsessed with the spiritual then he sees this you know, almost magician-like yeah. escape artist. He goes, great, that's my guy. Yeah. On the flip side, Houdini, you know, he's a real sceptic, sees this guy who's inventing detective magician-type yeah. stuff, and he's like, great. And they meet up, it's like, what? No, you stand for everything I don't believe. Exactly. Well, that's kind of what happened. It started off with as a mutual appreciation society because they were both the most super celebrities of their time. Um, so... Uh, Harry Houdini gave uh, Conan Doyle in uh, in the UK uh, one of his books, and it was a book on how to expose, like, you know, mediums and things like that. It's like, you'll love this because you love, like, spiritualism, and here's a magic book which debunks how spiritualism is done. And meanwhile, uh, Conan Doyle was like, oh, I love this Houdini guy. I think he's genuinely psychic. I reckon he's, he's, he's spiritual <laughs> and superhuman. So when he gets this book, he's like, oh, you're one of my allies because what you're doing is debunking the fake psychics as opposed to the real psychics who I believe oh. you to be. So when they finally met... Um, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh dear. Oh, no. You've, uh, you've severely misunderstood. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're trying to convince each other of each other's positions and because everyone back then was kind of, you know, very polite to each other. They were really trying to convince each other. So... Um, there's a famous story where Harry Houdini um, got into a cab with 
Arthur Conan Doyle and his wife, and he did that old sort of magic trick with your thumb, you know, where you kind of bend your thumb back. Oh, uh, yeah, the, un- the, the classic of the uncle repertoire. Yeah, yeah, where you move your thumb back and forth as if you've, you know, chopped off your thumb. And uh, so <laughs> he's doing it right now, people. He is doing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, Lady Doyle. Medic, medic. How? I'm sorry. It's not real. Yeah. I have to tell you, Dan. It's not real. <laughs> well, that's how uh, Conan Doyle and his wife reacted. Uh, he, uh, Conan Doyle's wife, Lady Doyle, she fainted. Simpler times. Yes, yes. You know, and um, and so Arthur Conan Doyle said, "You know, you are truly a man of mystery and wonder. You are legit." Uh, a genuine superhuman. Houdini's like, look, I, I cannot express you enough. Look at it's it from just... the other side. You'll see I am bending my thumb. <laughs> oh, no. <Do> you... <laughs> <laughs> How does he do it? Even though his thumb's bent, it looks real. This, So he really wanted to believe it. So they sort of sent letters back and forth. They were massive fans of each other. Um, uh, and then one time when uh, Houdini was doing a tour in the UK, he decided, come over to my place Uh we're holding like a fake seance. So he and his magician buddies would hold a fake seance. And, and I'll prove to you that. Which in my mind looks exactly like the alliance of ma- magicians from Arrested Development. Yeah. Like, like we demand to be taken seriously. Yeah. Job is there. Yeah. Full wizard outfit, Ben yeah. Stiller. Yeah. Yep, yep. They're not turning tricks, tricks for whores. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so he holds up like this thing. He's got spirit slate. So they're like these two little chalkboards and one of them suspended against the wall. And he gets uh, Conan Doyle to basically... Um, examine these corks like you can cut open like you know bottle corks and show that there's nothing inside them and he would dip it into white ink and he said to Conan Doyle so what I want you to do is like write on a bit of paper um go out the door and write down you know like a biblical passage on a piece of paper or something anything you like Mm. uh and then he would come so Conan Doyle went like you know around the corner came back in and uh he got him to choose one of the corks they dipped it in the uh, the white ink and then Houdini threw it against the, the blackboard against the wall and then the cork started writing by itself on, on, the, on the blackboard in white ink the exact passage that uh, from the Bible that um, Conan Doyle was thinking of. To this day, pretty solid illusion. Like that's... Yeah, Very that good. that would fool Penn and Teller. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a good one. Yeah, that that's, that's better Houdini. than the Uncle Thumb. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's trading up a bit. He's trading up, <laughs> uh, and then well, of, someone's been doing their homework. But because he's a magician, he doesn't expose how he does it. So Conan Doyle still thinks, "Oh no, you're just pretending that it's fake. You are still believing that it's the real thing." Crazy, crazy. So what happened? It just. Well, do we know how he did it? Do you want to know? Well, we could open up to your listeners. Maybe they can message and think. Yes. <laughs> uh, do you want to know how? Maybe I'll, I'll explain it at the end. Okay. All yeah. right. Yeah, we can we can puzzle because it out. it's always really disappointing when you find out how a trick is done. Is it magnets? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it is disappointing, isn't it? It's always magnets and mirrors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so. This whole thing sort of came about through um, death. The reason why they were both into spiritualism was because of death, because Harry Houdini, uh, his mother, died, and he went to, you know, a seance to try to communicate to her because, you know, he really loved her. She was, you know, a wife of a rabbi. She, You know, they were an immigrant family from Hungary moving to, um, you know, America. They, they, they made it. They were immigrants who tried to make it, and he really loved his mother so much. Uh, she died and passed away. Okay. And so he goes to like a seance to try to contact his mother. And then he realizes that these mediums are using tricks. Like 
conjuring and magic tricks and they're trying to fool him. And he's like, I know these tricks. You guys are just sham artists. You're frauds. And so that's what, you know, how he started his crusade against, you know, fake psychics and spiritualists. Whereas on the other side of the Atlantic, you, you'll have um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and, you know, he's quite a rational guy. Um, you know, he joined a psychic, psychical research society because, he, you know, he's quite a rational guy. Um, back What's in the, his background? So his background is... Uh, so is he like Oxbridge, like old money kind of vibe? Yeah, or? yeah, he's, he's quite well-to-do. He's, he's a Catholic. He's, uh, you know, he trained in medicine. He wanted to be a dentist at one point, uh, but he came, became an author. So he's quite well-to-do, very yeah. highly educated. Um, and, yeah, people invited him along to try to go to a haunted house and try to figure out what was going on because they, they heard that it was moaning and, you know, the sound of scraping and changes. It's, it's an old house. And he could hear some of these noises, but he went, yeah, but it's the sounds of an echoey, creaky house. Yeah. It's not real. And then a few months later, he learns that a small child had died and was buried in the garden. And he thought, oh, I think I might have heard this ghost. So he's caught the bug. That was he's very, caught the yeah. bug. But what really made him tip over to the to the other side, so mm-hmm. to speak, was uh, the First World War happened and his son Kingsley as well as 11 of his other family members completely died in World War One. And this was a time where, you know, uh, the telegraph was invented, radio waves were starting to be okay, used. Okay, so people telephone. are starting to think maybe there's more to the world than we... Yeah, we can hear communication from the other, from other sides that we can't see, you know, the people speaking because of technology, but what if we could communicate to the spirits? And because super fascinating, isn't it? Because yeah. this was this dawn of, not dawn of science, but this time where the difference between science and magic would have been yeah. really, I, mean, I think of that book, it's a real doorstop of a book. Um, Is it by Arthur C. Clarke? Yeah. No, I'm thinking of the um, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Right, right. Where... They kind of act like scientists, but they're magicians. Yeah, right, right. And it is that thing where the difference between magic and science back then, it could have been, it could have gone either way. Yeah, All they knew is we're on the cusp of something. Yep. And we're discovering these weird things that are going on. Like you said, sending messages through the air and this sort of stuff. And at the time, in real time, at that time, people who were reading about it would have been like, God, what do you reckon? Do you reckon that's magic or science? Like it could... History could have forked in either way. Yeah. Of course, we know now, well, it's science, but back then it was pretty much. That's right. And you could mount an argument either way. And only time would tell if it was science. Yeah. I mean, when you took look at it these days, I think less people uh, believe in psychics because in some ways society doesn't need it because we have mobile mm. phones. Like if I wanted to call someone on the other side of the world and speak to them and hear their voice, I just pick up my yeah. iPhone so perhaps, you know, te- like you say, technology, um, it could have fallen either way, mm. but, it, but in society it's whether we need it. So what happened after World War One? so many fathers and sons had died, there was this massive grief and mourning and people wanted to, you know, connect to people that had gone missing on the other yeah. side of world fighting wars. So no wonder when these people popped up and started saying, hey, I can communicate to the dead, you would go along to it. Yeah, they were really fulfilling and a need in society. And so when uh, Harry Houdini and um, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, they sort of had a respectable debate about things. Um, there was one time where uh, when, when, when Arthur Conan Doyle was in New York, he decided to meet with Harry and all these magicians and, and try to fool Harry Houdini. And so he brought along a uh, footage of actual live dinosaurs. 
<laughs> and, and so all the magicians are watching on screen in, in black and white. In my mind, one. it's literally like Arthur Conan Doyle in like a Dorothy the Dinosaur <laughs> costume. Yeah. Like one of those olden days space movies, like, oh, yeah. stomping around. Yeah, yeah. Basically, he, <laughs> Dorothy the Dinosaur or some early Jurassic Park type stuff. Um, but what it was, it was footage from uh, a movie that hadn't been released yet, which was The Lost World based on Arthur Conan Doyle's novel. And it was like one of the most early um, forms of stop motion animation. And so the uh, the magicians had never seen such a thing before. Mm. And they full on were like, this is impossible, but we're seeing this with our own eyes. And then Arthur Conan Doyle was like, I'm not going to tell you how it's done uh, or whether it's real or not, other than to just say to you that just because you guys think you know everything, you don't. There are things that you guys can't even explain, which is kind of ironic because they weren't real dinosaurs. They were fake mm. as well. So it's kind of a magician trick. But it was real technology. Yeah, it was yeah, real technology. Yeah. And then Arthur Conan Doyle was boasting about it in the in, you know, front pages of the New York Times that he sort of fooled Houdini and these magicians. And um, it was great publicity, publicity for his movie. Would you say that these guys, it sounds like they had a rivalry more than they had a friendship. Yeah, well, they had that sort of mutual sort of admiration for each other's work. But then when they finally met and yeah. they, they had a bit of a discussion about it, they differed on one point, and because both of them were so, you know, evangelical mm. for their two different positions, because it was part of their public life, uh, they became rivals for the rest of their lives. Is it one of these things where they had that one moment where they met, or did they, like, have a few years where they were getting up to scrapes together? And Oh, uh, a few years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think the major turning point where it got real personal was that uh, Lady Doyle, Southern Conan Doyle's wife, became a medium herself because, you know, she also really believed that she could do what's called automatic writing, whereas where you, you know, hold a pen and a paper and the spirits kind of go into your mind and you go into a trance and you start, you know, go into a hypnotic state and start, like, writing something, anything that just comes out of you subconsciously onto the paper. So um, he, uh, she had a private session with Harry Houdini and said, I'll communicate to your mother. And she started writing out. And it, and it was working. She was, like, quite lucid and she was writing, you know, English sentences about, it would start off about, you know, I'm making the sign of the cross, I'm communicating to you, oh, Harry, I love you and I've always wanted to talk mm. to you. And it, and it goes on for, like, 15 pages. And Harry Houdini was, you know, quite silent. You know, he was he was clearly shaken and moved. And if he's got this sort of um, love of his mother and that sort of stuff, then... That's hitting him right in the feels. Yeah, so this is, right in the feels. really vulnerable here. Yeah, yeah. And um, so everyone chalked it up to like a success. And then um, Harry Houdini, a few days later, wrote a public thing in the newspaper saying, well, my mum can't speak English. She's Hungarian. Mm-hmm. She only speaks in Yiddish. She never refers to me as Harry, you know. Uh, I'm Eric Weiss. That's my real name. And also she's the wife of a rabbi. She would never start off a letter with the sign of the cross. So... <laughs> And so it got real personal because your essentially, yes, yeah, yeah. saying that either your wife is just making it up, like she's just going into like a subconscious state and thinks that she's self-deluded that she's actually, you know, a spiritualist, or she's a liar. And that, of course, caused a massive... Which rift. one is it? Is she lying or is she mad? <laughs> you can choose. You can cho- yeah. I'm not saying, but, yeah, so everyone got a bit insulted. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so that's probably where the, the moment was that they had a massive falling out. Do you feel like you have a nostalgia for these sorts of basically the olden days? Yeah. You as a person? Me? Yeah, I think so. 
I mean, I mean, it sounds like like if you can have your stop motion video and blow the minds of these people across the Atlantic. Yeah. It seems almost like it was a more magical time. I think fake news was a lot easier back then. You know? It seems pretty easy these Because that's days, not even though. Photoshop. Yeah. That's just like cutting something out of an old children's book and sticking up in a tree. Like were people just a, not as good with their eyesight back then <laughs> or maybe because no one had fooled people new. that way before? Yeah. It was new. Like, you know, people were running away from trains when they saw footage mm. of a train coming through a station in the first ever films. You know, the Lumiere brothers had a train coming yeah. through a train station. And the cinema just... Everyone in the cinema just ran out. They were terrified. They were screaming. Uh, and that wasn't even 3D. That was black and white 2D up against the wall. Yeah, but does that sense of wonder still exist today? Because, like, I think of, like, what is... I remember when the first time I tried VR. Yeah. And it was um, it was at an event. It was actually a whiskey tasting. And what they did was they VR got us... VR whiskey tasting. Yeah, so they got oh, us God. to put the um, goggles on. And they put the whiskey in front of us and spray a bit of sea salt around in the air. And the vision that you'd have on the goggles was the highlands of Scotland or the distillery or whatever. Yeah. And so you'd be sipping and you'd have your headphones on with sounds of the sea as well. Yeah. So nose, eyes, ears is all I'm in... Seaside Scotland. Yeah. It's essentially a facsimile. Yeah. And then you're tasting this whiskey. You, it, it does have that transportative feel to it. And also- Because that's all of your senses now. Yeah, pretty like much. Else. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of touch, you're holding a glass and sitting on a chair. So yeah. you know, if all you have to do is blow a bit of a breeze in your face and you feel <laughs> it as a sea breeze. But um, because the bar that we were doing it in was one of those, no, I don't want to say retro, but it just had that feel of, you know, it was quite a dimly lit bar. Yeah. It seemed a little bit old and daisy, the yeah, bar, like a little yeah. bit late 1800s kind of vibe. So I genuinely had that feeling that what I was experiencing right there okay. um, in terms of using this transportative technology for the very first time was a kind of a feeling of maybe what they felt the first time, mm. um, you know, Edison powered up a light globe yeah. to a bunch of people in top hats. Oh, oh, yeah. you know, how does this man control fire in this way? Yeah. Or, like you say, when the Lumiere brothers threw a train up on the wall and everyone panicked that yeah. a train had just burst out. But, you know, you get that flavour of it, but still at the same time you kind of go, well, I know I'm not in Scotland. Yeah. Is yeah. that... Is that a feeling that will never be captured Well, again? I guess it's there's also that suspension of disbelief. Like, oh. uh, do you want to try a seance? Okay. Um, what I want you to do is to write down... Actually, maybe go on the other side of this door and write down uh, the name of someone dead yeah. who's famous. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um... And, okay, uh, something has been written down. And I want you to put uh, that piece of paper, scrunch it up so no one can see it. Kind of like uh, what Arthur Conan Doyle did. You know, we're going to get some cork and throw it up against the wall. Okay, but instead, we're right. going to pop it inside our seance glass. Oh, it's, oh, it's so wet. <laughs> it's my keep cup. <laughs> pop it in there. Okay. And that's it there. Yeah. Oh, Ooh, okay. 
I'm so, glad I said yes to this because you've actually prepared a board. So what have we got here? Uh, so this is a board. I'm yep. assuming it's, uh, if not a Ouija board, then something analogous to one. Yeah. And it has, yeah, the alphabet and uh, yes and no. Yeah, so let's pop that on the table and you've scrunched up your piece of paper. In yeah, there. it's inside the glass. Now pop the glass over the Ouija board. All right. So you thought of a dead person? Yes. Okay, so this is a famous person, so people out there will know it. Yes. I will know it. Yes. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to put our hand, one finger on the top of the glass. Yeah. And so you've got one finger yeah. and I've got one finger. Yeah. Okay, I have no idea who it is, but let's see if we can just... Oh, it's moving. <laughs> now, I'm, I swear to God, I'm not moving that. Are you moving that? No. Interesting. All right. Now, what's why are you laughing? Because it just stopped on the letter that it starts with. Well, it's, it's over a few different letters. It's because it's a I big cup. A... It's M, N, and O. But where's the paper ball over? Yeah, N, N. So there's a paper ball inside this glass. <laughs> Good. Uh, I think. So it's called the idiomotor effect, and what's happening is that because you know what it is, you're subtly yeah. pressing it, but you don't realise you're pressing it, but you want it to go there, and you know it stopped because you've stopped looking at where the letters are. <laughs> uh. where, where's it now? B. Uh, NB. Yeah. What's the initials NB? <laughs> what? Uh, N-A. I have no idea. I feel like you figured it out. <laughs> I reckon, okay, am I giving it away? What do you mean? I don't know. Am I giving away what it is? Am I like a okay. bad, am I, I don't know what it is. too obvious? I don't know what it is because you said it starts with. I feel like it's super obvious Natalie. and I've let you down. <laughs> oh, it's moving again. <laughs> <laughs> So you I are totally like moving it. I feel like I'm giving it away to you. And nappy. <laughs> oh, it's Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like I made that really obvious for you. Ah, uh, because you. Because I don't know. I feel like I feel like I'm not pressing it. I'm just holding it. All right. Okay. So this is the interesting thing. The way that they debunk um, uh, Ouija boards to know that it's actually the idiomotor effect. It's like a subconscious movement that you don't realize you're doing it. Is when they. Make sure that the alphabet can't be seen. Like if the alphabet were all written on cards but turned upside down okay. and mixed around. And you'd pick it. Then yeah. the spirit would know where the letters were, but the person looking at it wouldn't. So it would, wouldn't spell anything. But it's because we're looking at the letters here and you know it's Napoleon, you're moving this glass. And because there's more people touching the glass, then no one ever takes ownership of who's pushing it because it feels they feel like it's not them. Yeah. So, yeah, Harry Houdini, you know, went around covertly into because he's so famous he would have beards and fake mustaches and he's in disguise going into seances and busting them switching on the lights and, <laughs> and then showing all these like fake rubber hands that people are using pretending that they're holding hands or there's bells underneath the table and all sorts of like fishing rods with you know wire and stuff like that he'd just basically ruin people's careers <laughs> It, he would have gotcha. loved to have been alive today. Yeah. Surely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so so Arthur Conan Doyle, like, you know, totally, you know, hated him because he mm. was going around 
you know, basically saying spiritualism was all fake. Um, then, of course, Harry Houdini uh, died uh, on Halloween. Because he got punched in the stomach? Correct. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it wasn't dying, drowning in his water torture chamber thing. Yeah, pe- wasn't he like, I can withstand any blow and someone punched him before he was ready or something? Yeah, like yeah, it was a frat boy who punched him. So it was just... Always a bloody frat boy. Yeah, it was just before a, Consistently a show. villains. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the sucker punch, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was just before a show that he was performing at like a college or something and then this... This frat boy, this bro just was like, yeah, I heard you could, you know, take any punch. And Houdini, before he could prepare his stomach. Good, his, yeah. 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 Uh, the guy punched him and there was internal bleeding. He did his final show. Everything was fine. Oh. Uh, and then because he's such a, the ever, he's such a showman, he made sure that he died on Halloween a week later. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, and to his be a bit ghost mysterious. lives on to this day. Well, there you go. Here's the interesting thing because he's such a skeptic. He wants to prove that even in the afterlife, that there was no such thing as spirit communication. So he told his wife, Bess, a secret code word that she would then go to uh, seances with to try to communicate to dead Harry Houdini to test this. So he would, so yeah. If the code word came through, yes, then Houdini the, was wrong. Yes. Yeah. So if the medium could contact Houdini and ask what the code word was and then tell Bess and uh, the committee of scientists that what the secret code word was, then this medium would get the prize. It was like heaps of money and also it was proof of the afterlife. Yeah. Uh, and no one could do it. And, and the code word would have died with her. Yeah. Well, actually, the code word did come out. It was uh, believe, and it was based on some sort of pattern that uh, Bess and and Harry Houdini had when they used to be a double act early on. They used to have a secret coding act so they could pretend mm. they could do telepathy. And um, so they used that as their code word. And That um, seems like a pretty common code word. Like yeah, no, I know. A medium could have stumbled onto yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Believe, yeah. It's almost like a safety word yeah. when, you're, when you're having like a bit of rough play in the bedroom. <laughs> you don't choose a word that's yeah. so common like yeah. stop. <laughs> <laughs> Is that yours? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. it feels like it's something, yeah, hello. It has yeah. to be like pasta or something, yeah. you know. Um, it has to be a really uncommon word. But anyway, uh, there was one... Uh, Believe sounds like something if you saw it on the list of easily hacked passwords. You'd be like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. It's like it's password one, two, three, three four. four. And believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> what we've arrived here at is at that beautiful moment where people go, okay, when we're faced with something that on its face seems inexplicable... Which path do you want to go down mm. that you feel most comfortable going down? Mm. So depending on what type of person you are, some people will go down that way of going, oh, it's probably psychology or some sort of subconscious thing. Another person would go- That's like what Houdini would say as a skeptic. Yeah, that's what yeah. Houdini would say. Oh, that's what modern, modern psychologists would yeah, say okay, now right. about this particular idiomotor yeah. effect. Uh, spiritualists and people who believe in, you know, the other, that yeah. the power doesn't come from Conan within people. Doyle. Conan Doyle, he yeah. would say that it was- the power of the spirits. Mm. They know stuff about us that we shouldn't know and they are moving it. And and then the third option is that uh, I refuse to believe anything. Mm. I can only believe what I see out of my own two mm. eyes. And even then I don't trust my eyes. So, what I think it is, this mm-hmm. is my theory, Yes, yes, is that humans are obliging. So if I just sat back and went like this, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. 
because I know there's a trick to it, then it couldn't have worked. Exactly. Right? But yeah. because I sat down and went, okay, I'll give it a shot and we are recording and your time is precious and all this sort of stuff, I reckon and also, my brain has been primed to, to want to help you, to want to help this happen. And also you want to have something happen in the podcast yeah. rather than dead time. Yeah. Yeah. So I think even though I said I, I wasn't trying to spell it out, I honestly will tell you that I felt like you were dragging it right. straight to the letter each time. Yeah. For Napoleon, I, you just instantly started pushing it towards N to the point where I was like, you know, are you making me think of Napoleon? You yeah. Would, yeah, so. So what it also means is that <laughs> we'd have to play back the entire recording and hear all the clues. <laughs> <laughs> it's you just implanted it into my head. <laughs> Oh, there's so much at play there. Yeah. And it just makes you think that, God, if this was the 1800s... You'd totally believe it. There weren't Darren Brown and Penn and Teller and all these videos yeah. of people telling you how these things work. You would have gone, well, ghosts, got to be. It's got to be. And that is why I love the story of Harry Houdini and Arthur Conan Doyle so much. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> now tell me how you did it. <laughs> with Dan DeBooth is pretty much made entirely by me, Dan DeBooth, except for the music, which is by Caleb Garfinkel, and the artwork, which is by David Ferrier and Joe Kutri.